Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to the Mutuality Matters podcast from Christians for Biblical Equality. Alongside my friend and ministry colleague, Rob Dixon, I am Lila Van Gerpen. Can women and men work alongside one another in healthy ministry partnerships? Our answer is heck yes. And on this podcast, we interview practitioners exploring stories about what flourishing mixed gender ministry partnerships look like in the field. So Rob, this is our fifth interview. And before we get into it, let's do a bit of a check-in. How are you growing as a podcast host through this experience of podcasting? Well, first of all, I'm so glad I get to work with you, Lai. That's like (laughs) the the joy of this for sure. I, I think the thing for me that's been the adjustment probably is realizing that at one level, we're having a conversation uh, right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this conversation will like outlive me online and anyone can listen to this for forever. And it's Mm -hmm. a weird dynamic to carry both of those things at the same time. And so I think the the challenge for me is to be present and not be thinking the whole time, like, how is this going to sound in 50 years? (laughs) Right? So I think that's the, the invitation and the challenge for me. Yeah. How about for you? Yeah, I agree. I think just calming the overthinking and uh, being present to these conversations. I have loved each and every conversation and interview we've had. I'm so encouraged and just amazed by the the model, different models of mixed gender partnership that are happening. So I'm I'm excited for the conversations to come and who we've got lined up. And I think I'm just growing. I think the growing part for me is just um, own it, live into it and be present and, um, know that it's a growing process. And there are, you know, I'm learning how to just get the nerves out and all that stuff, but also like, wow, what a privilege we get to do this. Um, well, let's, let's do it. Let's get into it today. On with the show. Yeah. This week, our guest is Tim Bushra. We know Tim through our work with InterVarsity. He's in his second year on staff serving in Santa Barbara, He is Gen Z, 22, Mm -hmm. newly married to his wife, Kyler, double majored at UCSB uh, in in linguistics and communication. And my favorite part, like myself, he's Middle Eastern American. Tim, welcome to Mutuality Matters. Hi, thanks for having me. So good to have you. you. Yeah. Uh, Tim, we like to ask everybody that joins the pod as sort of an icebreaker question. Is there a, a, a partnership, mixed gender partnership from literature or the movies or TV that that you appreciate? Yeah, I thought about this question a lot beforehand. Um, and I'm going to have to go with from TV, um, from Parks and Recreation, Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson. Oh, um, and that might come as a, a surprise to some folks. Um, but yeah, I kind of chose this one because uh, they're not a perfect partnership, but I chose them because over the course of the show, they learn a lot about working together. Um, and it also doesn't start from like a terrible place. Like from the beginning, Ron Swanson really supports powerful women. Um, but at the same time, he sort of has like some toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leslie loves working with him and loves him um, just as a friend. But uh, at the same time, she kind of underestimates what could hide behind that toxic masculinity. Um, and so over the course of the show, they butt heads about things. But 
Um, and politically, they could not be like further apart from how they think things should be handled in local government and everything. But by the end of the show, Ron um, essentially recognizes that Leslie really knows what she's doing and he defers a lot of his judgment to her and um, ultimately kind of she moves up the corporate or the, the bureaucratic ladder and he and uh, by the end of the show he's working for her and um, they just have like a really good connection and friendship and um, it's also platonic which is pretty rare in tv shows that it's just friendship and and working together not meeting any kind of romantic um, quota or anything so that, that would be my choice. Well, you are not the first person to quote <laughs> Ron and, and Leslie Nope. So that's, thanks for doing that. Too. That's fun. That's a good one. Uh, love it. Okay. As you know, this podcast explores the dynamic of women and men working together in ministry. So talk to us about how you hold this value in your life in ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that value is uh, just super important for me. I think that God has given women and men um, some awesome different skills and talents. Um, and not even necessarily just that men have certain talents and women have other ones, but that God has just given uh, his people awesome talents. And I think that um, the way that this value stands out in my life is just that we miss out when we don't um, allow women and men to work together. And it's also an injustice. And that's something that is really serious to me is that I think that we miss out on a lot and we are doing ourselves a disservice as a society when men and women don't get to work to work together, especially in the church. Um, and specifically men working under women has been something that the church has been opposed to. And so that's just been really big for me in my life. Um, I work in ministry, like it was mentioned, and my boss, Kelsey, um, I work under her and it's just been such an awesome blessing she has strengths where I have weaknesses. And she was also, while I was a student at UCSB, she was my staff worker. And so it's just been such a blessing to work under her. And I just, um, the value of men and working, men and women working together in ministry is dear to me because I've seen how awesome that partnership has been. And I'm saddened to know that uh, in some contexts that partnership wouldn't be allowed to exist um, just because of her gender. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we, we, uh, Full disclosure for listeners: We all know and love Kelsey, so that's that's awesome to have her referenced on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, Tim, I'm wondering what your journey's been like. So, if that's where you've land, landed or where you are today, as you think about men and women working together, have you always held that posture? Have you been on a, some sort of a? Have there been experiences along the way that have formed you into who you are about this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say for this one, uh, it's something that I developed a lot of my ideas on gender issues from a young age, um, largely in part uh, due to my sister. My sister and I have been best friends for a very long time and uh, we get along super well. But I remember that when I was a kid, she would um, help me question some of the things that I thought she's a couple years older than me and she would help me um, question stereotypes that I've absorbed from media and stuff like that. Um, and so I remember in particular, there was this one image, it's this image of a man and a woman at their wedding kneeling at the altar and the man on his shoes, it says, help me on his shoes and sort of insinuating that he's feeling trapped or coerced into this wedding. And it's supposed to be funny. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, I don't know, somewhere 10, 11, maybe. 
I, when you're at that age, you don't really know what's funny. You just kind of know what other people think is funny. And so I showed it to her and I was like, isn't this funny? And she said, no, it's the why, why, why would that be funny? If he doesn't want to get married, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to uh, pretend like he's being trapped. And if history and our current situation tells us anything, she's the one who's going to be treated more like property than he is. This is just completely backwards. And I was like, huh, interesting. I never thought of it like that. And so this wasn't an aha moment. It was this and many other interactions with family members, female friends, coworkers, superiors, and miscellaneous that um, really shaped me into having this value. Um, and so, yeah, I, and I would also just like to take the opportunity to say that I'm still learning. Mm. Um, I remember when, uh, Rob and Lila invited me to be on the podcast, I was like, why me? Like, why, you know, what is my qualifications? And they basically told me, you know, your qualification is that you're, you're learning and you're working on it and you're engaging around this issue. And so, um, yeah, I just want to voice that, but this doesn't mean that I'm like, I, I'm still learning is what I'm trying to say. And so in some ways, like my intuition for sensing where there may be, you know, sexism going on in a ministry context or uh, my ability to subdue my own voice when I've been, you know, hogging up space and, you know, let a woman speak. Like these are things that are very core to my ministry and important to me, but there's things I'm still working on. So yeah, I've just been super blessed by the people in my life who have shaped uh, this value in me and I'm uh, working to do better in the future. That's great. I often a conversation that comes up is like, what do you wish or uh, often a question that comes up with uh, some of the folks that we've interviewed is like, what do you wish you could have told your younger self or advice you could have received early on? And so you're like early on in living this out, but it's great to also see the ways that it has actually been at work in you over time. Um, Well, how have you been able to express your value in your context? So what's that look like for you? Yeah, I would actually say it's been surprisingly easy or like not necessarily easy, but there's been lots of uh, opportunities to express this value in my context because of how many powerful, wise and intuitive women um, are my coworkers and my superiors and just work in my context. Um, But I would say to be more specific, like the biggest thing that comes up for me in terms of how I can express my value in uh, ministry is just giving credit where credit is due. I find that um, it's just that oftentimes a man can do something in ministry and receive lots of credit for it. And sometimes a woman will do something and no one even recognize how awesome that thing was. Um, And so one example is just working alongside my boss, Kelsey. Um, A little while ago, she gave a training at one of our leadership meetings. We have student leaders on our team Um, and she gave a training and she spoke the whole time and it was super interactive and she led this thing that she has mastered and she imparted that knowledge onto all of our student leaders and now they're you know becoming masters at it um and i just felt like at the end like the overwhelming need to make sure everyone recognized like hey she did that that wasn't the whole team was teaching you that like kelsey mastered that and shared that with you and a lot of our student leadership team right now are Um, young men who maybe I don't know haven't had as much of an opportunity to do development in this area and so for me that was really important to make sure that they recognize um, where the expertise in the room is coming from Um, to give another example uh, from someone who is below my leadership we had a little while ago we have two students who are leading 
a book club right now for a C.S. Lewis book. And one of them is a female fourth year. She's been on our team for a long time. Uh, and one of them is a male first year who uh, actually is not even yet on our leadership team. He's um, sort of apprenticing. And so um, they're leading this together. And the female student was kind of handling more of the icebreaker and he was handling more of the discussion questions. And we had a great conversation. They worked really well together. Um, they have a lot of synergy and we had a great conversation. But I noticed at the end, some of the students uh, were, as we were leaving the Zoom room, were saying thanks to just the male student. And I was like, felt the need to say like, thanks with both of their names and make sure that people saw that because I was like, they're working together and you know they both deserve credit. Um, and in fact, a lot of the expertise is coming from uh, the female and the partnership here. Um, and especially just the, the tendency for people to recognize uh, the skill that in this case, the male student was handling the discussion, but the female student was handling the icebreaker. And she, I just wanted everyone to recognize how important that is. Like, that's not just a fun thing that we do that um, this woman happens to be good at. That's something that helped us break the ice and it helped us have a good conversation. And the good conversation, it probably wouldn't have been as good if we hadn't gotten comfortable with each other first. And so, um, yeah, that's just another example of giving credit where credit is due. Great, Tim. I yeah. love how you, you have a radar, seems like, that you've developed that you're looking for that, right? You're, you're aware of those dynamics. And then the next step would be to call them out and pastor people through how they should be thinking about those things. So I appreciate that a lot. So Tim, one of the, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on our podcast and so glad you're here is the perspective you bring as a Gen Z leader. Now, let me say you don't have, shouldn't feel like you're speaking for all Gen Z people here, right? So just from your perspective, I'm curious how you see Gen Z holding this value of women and men in ministry partnership. So how, how, from you, from your vantage point, how does Gen Z think, Gen Z think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I appreciate uh, not having to represent a whole generation. <laughs> yeah. um, for, for one thing, just because Generation Z is still developing a lot in a lot of ways. Um, I'm in my early 20s and I'm one of the oldest uh, Gen Z or, or Zoomers, as we're sometimes called. Um, I think that the oldest Zoomer is just a few years older than me. Meanwhile, the youngest is, I think, like 10 to 12 or something like that. Um, and so I just bring that up because it's impossible to know for sure, but I, I can share a couple of speculations that I have. Mm -hmm. um, but in a lot of ways, yeah, there's a lot of conversations and development that need to happen with the younger side of the generation before we can know really where we're headed. But um, a couple of things I wanted to mention is just um, this belief in this idea of social construction, I think is really important uh, to understand where Gen Z is coming from. Um, for those who don't know, social construction is basically the idea that certain aspects of our reality that we may take for granted are actually something that we as a society have just agreed upon, and it's not something inherently true. Um, that could be anything from like gender roles or um, even just like this idea that pink is for girls and blue is for boys. That's socially constructed. There's nothing um, inherently true about that. Um, and so Gen Z, I believe, really believes in this more than probably any other prior generation. Um, and so this, I think it, the positive of this is that it will help Gen Z break down gender stereotypes, which may, you know, in turn help with this understanding of 
men and women working together in partnership and in, in, in and outside of the church. Um, but I think one thing that I would be careful about or just keep an eye out for is that I, there's a possibility that it could lead to a sort of gender blindness um, and the same idea of like colorblind racism. We may have um, some gender blind sexism where the idea that men and women are equal supersedes the idea that there's work to do to actually achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something I, I, and again, I can't know for sure, but something that I'm keeping my eye out for when it comes to Generation Z. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention is that a really big thing for Gen Z is that we have a huge distrust of institutions, um, whether it's corporations, government institutions, educational uh, institutions, the religious institutions for sure. Um, just by and large, our generation is very skeptical. Like if anything is run by a group of people with decision power, we're immediately skeptical. Um, and so I think the positive of that is that we question authority and we question power and we challenge injustice. And so when we see a lack of male-female partnerships in the church as an injustice, you know, that's a good thing that Gen Z is going to notice that right away. Um, but in the same way as the gender blindness thing, there's also the concern that perhaps this distrust of institutions may lead to a lack of proficiency in actually navigating institutions. And I think we know from a lot of work around almost any social justice issue that um, being able to navigate institutions and change from within is a really important piece of it. And so that could be something that Generation Z has to learn how to do because if you just never want to change anything from within and just want to um, kind of overthrow the whole system, like that might not always be realistic. So those are a couple of things that I could kind of think of for Gen Z. But again, as Generation Z is still, the soul of Generation Z is still growing up and developing, we'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's helpful to kind of just like recognize that it's still in progress and also to know where there's distinctions. And I appreciate the way that you've done that. Uh, what do you wish older generations would understand about Gen Z, about your generation, specifically around this area of male, female, or specifically around this area of mixed gender partnership? So how can older generations help Gen Z even develop in this area? Yeah, great question. I think it again comes back to that sense for injustice. Um, I think if older uh, generations can frame the issue of a lack of male-female partnerships or mixed-gender partnerships in the church as a source of injustice, that's what's going to connect with Gen Z and help us to notice that something needs to be done. Um, I, I was listening to an audio book about uh, mixed-gender partnerships in the workplace, and there was, I don't remember which company it was, but it was some CEO or something was sharing that um, they had basically instituted an equal uh, gender participation rule in their company, and they have to have, you know, X percent of uh, female workers in their um, company. And that CEO shared that this is not about justice. This is not about, um, you know, discrimination or anything. This is just strategic. Like women have something awesome to offer, and we're missing out when we don't have them at the table. And I think that's very true but I don't necessarily know that that message is what's gonna resonate with Gen Z as much. When, when you're talking about strategy and efficiency and what's gonna help you know, the bottom line, 
Gen Z, I think, would be more inclined to think about, now, how is this increasing justice for certain identities? Because um, identity is really important for Gen Z. And framing it as like the company efficiency or, you know, the strategy is just not, I, I just don't think it's going to connect as much. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, older generations who want to inspire Gen Z with our uh, shockingly low attention spans and our need for instant <laughs> gratification, you might want to, you know, it, it could be difficult for a Gen Z kid to see the the long game there. And so if it's framed as um, an issue of justice, I think that's really what's going to, to get their attention. Yeah, especially what you named earlier around just distrust of the system. So I, th- I think if you if you, uh, yeah, I appreciate your emphasis on naming the injustice and, and pursuing mutually beneficial partnership, you know, among generations, you know, just that it would bless the organization, but also bless the individual relationships and identities. So, yeah. Yeah, Tim, I, I, so I think you've already sort of done this and that last answer, I think is a bit of a prophetic word, I think for the church, but, but I'm curious if you'd have anything else you'd want to say to the church as you think about women and men working together. So any kind of, yeah, prophetic words you'd want to offer to us? Yeah. Um, I would say one thing I'd mention is I'm really proud of my like lowercase C church here in town in Santa Barbara. Um, they have as many male pastors as they have female pastors. And from what I can tell, they work a great together. And so that's something that I really value, but speaking a little bit more to, I guess, my own church, but also the capital C church, um, you know, the body of Christ. I would say that something I'm really looking forward to seeing in the future is just taking it a step further um, with male-female partnerships and not just to have them and to try and make them work well, but to start questioning, like take take a page out of Gen Z's book and start questioning which aspects of our world are gendered through social construction. Um, I think that you know, there could be a tendency, even when we do have a church with male-female partnerships, that the male uh, staff workers or, or pastors or whatever it is in that context have a tendency towards preaching or tech or finances. And then the women have a tendency towards planning events or doing children's ministry or prayer events and things like that. All amazing things. Um, but I think it would be awesome to see the church questioning, like, why do those fall into certain categories? Is there something that we're taking for granted as uh, a universal truth that maybe is actually just something that we constructed? Um, another example of something I'd love to see in the future is just valuing intersectionality. I think that um, the church supporting women in pastoral roles or in staff positions of any kinds is awesome just on the premise of gender. But at the same time, I think it can mm-hmm. be important to think about how women who have other marginalized identities may experience less of a voice or may experience um, some other barriers to entry that, uh, for instance, when people whose uh, marginalization is only on the premise of gender might have a different experience. Um, and not just in, in a negative sense of like what barriers there are, but also what do they have to bring to the table that you know is not showing up when we... Uh, don't value intersectionality. That is awesome. Yeah, that is so good. Um, Tim, it is so good to be in ministry partnership with you. It is so good to have this conversation with you. 
Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for this conversation. Hey, if folks want to continue to connect with you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at T underscore B-S-H-R. Um, it's the, the shortest version I could have of my <laughs> name. Um, truthfully, I don't post on there a whole lot, but if you want to see any uh, commentary on, oftentimes I post about ethnicity and justice issues, mm-hmm. and I also just post some silly dumb things on there as well. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of this, uh, such a great conversation and you've given us lots to think about. Appreciate you. Thanks, Tim. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, wow. That was so good. Okay. Rob, what did you hear? What is staying with you, um, from that conversation? Well, a couple things. So one, I think I was impressed with the lens that Tim has for seeing like the dynamics under the surface. Uh, so to say, hey, we need to give credit where credit's due and to see that happening in real time and then to call it out is, uh, I mean, for listeners out there, developing that radar, that lens, I think is crucial if we Mm want to have flourishing partnerships. So that's one thing. The second thing for me though, was this, um, I I just felt like when Tim was talking and I think I used this word lie in the the conversation, but this idea of prophetic, he had a prophetic word for us. Mm -hmm. So I think his word to the church and to the CBE community and the egalitarian community more broadly about um, being open to the things that Gen Z are bringing to the table, the way the Gen Z sees the world. And again, it's still developing, but I think there was a prophetic edge to Tim's Mm -hmm. sharing around, um, you know, the social construction stuff and Mm -hmm. and the uh, institutional stuff. I just was really grateful for his voice. How about for you? Yeah, I agree. I think I loved how he was able to break it down and really unpack what matters um, to him and even uh, more broadly to his generation. And I think something staying with me is just when when he talked about, um, like, when we see a lack of male-female partnership, we see it as an injustice. And I think it speaks to his value for um, like the whole and just e- even kind of this distrust of institutions he talked about. And maybe on the flip side of that, that like the benefits of male-female partnership can't just benefit the system. It can't just benefit um, church growth or benefit. It ha- it has to also be mutually beneficial yeah. and to, yeah. to be able to, um, yeah, like um, just the way that he, he talked about like, we're not going to co-sign on something that isn't um, just the prophetic call for us is to ask like, why are we doing the the things we're doing and the way we're doing them? And what of that is um, true. And what of that is because we've just kind of all agreed, but without thought, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah it has me thinking about when I, when I talk with my kids about men and women issues around men and women, or when I talk to college students, um, I think framing that conversation around justice as opposed to more of a pragmatic, this is just a better way to get the work done, which is valid, legitimate, but like framing it through the lens of justice is the, is a strong word from Tim. And I I think it has me thinking about my, my presentation. Yes, I agree. Uh, Such a great conversation. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Follow Christians for Biblical Equality on Facebook and Twitter for up-to-date info and content. 
You can leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you love this podcast, please share it with a friend. I'm Lila Van Gerpen, and with my co-host, Rob Dixon, we would like to thank our guest, Tim Bushra, and our talented ad- editor, Landon Hook, as well as Christians for Biblical Equality. Be sure to listen to other episodes with our team of co-hosts coming to your devices every week. We are the Mutuality Matters Podcast. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.